Session number 60, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks and praise, Lord, for 59 sessions, and tonight is the 60th session of Kingdom 101. Truly, nothing can be done apart from you, Lord, and we thank you for your grace and your enablement. And so, as always, please be with us, please be with me, please be with those who are also listening in. We want to hear from you, Lord Jesus, by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen. We are still at the Sermon on the Mount, but tonight is our final session on the Sermon on the Mount. Finally, we have reached the conclusion of Jesus' conclusion. Would you say hallelujah? Praise the Lord. Eh? It's taken us a while, but we have reached it. And I'm so thankful, and I've learned so much, and I pray that you have also been blessed. But we know that this final section, the context is always important. So let me remind you, in case you have not heard the previous teachings. First, Jesus presents a choice, and you'll find that all the way up um, in verse 13. You can find the narrow gate or the broad gate that leads to the right way or the wrong way that brings you into the everlasting kingdom. You need to make a personal decision. After that, Jesus presents a caution. He says, stay on track. Please be careful because there will be wolves. They're going to look like sheep, smell like sheep, talk like sheep, but actually they're wolves. And they want to teach you and promise you something that will be very different from that of Jesus. And we see that there is a personal responsibility. You've got to be careful. You can blame these guys who bluff you, but at the end, you must be responsible for yourself so that you will not be misled. Thirdly, he presents then a consequence. And that was a difficult teaching that we did the last time. Not everyone will enter the kingdom. Not everyone who shouts, Lord, Lord. Not everyone who presents themselves as a Christian or with church membership will get entry into the kingdom. But those who do the will of my Father and who will do it according to His way. And we say that you must be careful because there's a personal consequence here. So after the choice and the caution, the consequence, he finally comes to the conclusion, therefore. He makes that one word, a declaration, therefore, whoever. And it's directed again to the individual. I want you to keep all these things in mind because we're going to read that passage and when you read it, don't take it in isolation. Understand that it comes after all those other points that Jesus would have made. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 to 29. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. And so it was when Jesus had ended these sayings, that the people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Firstly, let's understand and remember this is not a new teaching by Jesus. This is only a recap, right? He's already given his teaching and this is a final, final parable 
and he's presenting it with a different, slightly different perspective just in case you still don't get it. He's not introducing anything new. He's saying exactly the same thing. And if you agree with me, then we must not miss the parallels that we will notice in this entire section that is the final section. When Jesus talks about building on the rock versus building on sand, you will see that it will parallel the teaching of the narrow and the broad gate or the narrow and the broad way. It's a therefore, he's concluding. There's a parallel there, don't miss it. And so again, we understand, it is not talking about the point of salvation, but you have to be careful about the process of salvation. At the same time, it also parallels about doing the Father's will and that about practicing lawlessness. You will see that there will be a similarity later on. In other words, it's not merely about believing, but it's also about how one lives as a person of the kingdom. Now, once you see these parallels, there will be others that we will notice. The one who builds on the rock will stand. The one who builds on sand will fall. And that will be parallel versus the way that leads to life and the way that leads to destruction, paralleled also with the final outcome of one who is uh, rejected from entering into the kingdom and one who is received into the kingdom. So the one who stands or the one who falls, this has to do with entry into the everlasting kingdom. You see, it's not a new teaching. All these are building on a theme. And Jesus is consistent. Now when you understand this, now we are ready to look at the rain, the floods, and the winds. Now I've heard it always taught this way, to say that, oh, in life there will be the rain and there will be the floods and there will be the difficult things that would come, right? And so if you build on rock, then you will stand. Now, good principle, those things that come against us on the, our daily challenges, oh, those will be good test measures for how well you're walking in your kingdom walk. But when I look at this whole teaching in its whole context, when you consider the entire section, it does not talk about the daily challenges of life. If you want to be consistent with everything, this refers to a final judgment. It is not about the daily challenges. It is about the final end of judgment. Okay? So speaking of floods, we all remember that Noah went through a very, very big flood. See, Jesus' teaching would have been consistent with things that the people will have understood. That in the days of Noah, you and I know that he encountered a flood, a big flood. It was good for him, but it wasn't good for everyone else. So let's consider this character called Noah so that we can understand this passage a little bit more and then we can derive, again, a teaching for ourselves. Now in Genesis chapter 6, verse 8, we are told that Noah found grace in the eyes of God. But the next verse is also recorded that Noah was found as being righteous, who walked with God. Now for those who want to stand on the word grace, uh, they will always only look at the word grace, uh, underline it, and never read anything else. Uh. But you cannot read one verse without reading the second verse. The second verse says that he walked with God. It wasn't just grace that he found, but he also walked with God. Now, you know this story very well. 
God instructs Noah to build an ark. What did Noah do? Noah heard that instruction and Noah obeyed that instruction. So Genesis chapter 6, verse 22 records, Thus Noah did, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Now pay attention to this. Noah believed God, Noah heard from God, and Noah moved on what he believed. Okay? Now hold that thought for a while. After that, he builds the entire ark. Commentators say it took about 100 to 120 years of building that ark. I want you to see that it's almost like keeping to a narrow way for those 100 years. You know how tough that was, right? He would have been building and the people would have been coming to him and say, Hey, chill out, let's go for a drink. Why are you doing this? I mean, we're not seeing any, you know, rain, what rain? I don't know what you're talking about, you see? And so he would have had to choose to believe in the Spirit rather than to gratify his flesh. He walked the narrow way for all those years. After the ark was prepared, God then instructs Noah to bring the family into the ark. And so it's recorded again in chapter 7, verse 5, And Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. Once again, Noah heard that instruction and Noah obeyed the instruction. Noah believed what God had told him and Noah moved on what he would have believed. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, we are told, By faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. You know, many times people will just tell you, you just believe can already lah. I mean, you don't need to do anything. Just believe. Now, this is not what the verse says. By faith, Noah was warned, right, of things not seen, but by faith, he moved with godly fear. So is it enough just to believe? If you believe and you really believe in all that the Lord will tell you, then you would move based on what He instructs you and tells you to do. Okay, and this is what I want you to understand. I want you only to catch. If we hear something, then we ought to do that something. That's what faith is all about. And so, it's a very interesting question that we should answer. So what saved Noah? Was it grace that saved Noah? Or was it obedience that saved Noah? Think about it for a while. He found grace. Amen. Definitely. It is entirely by grace. And that's why God would then tell him of the things that would be coming. And God would then warn him. Did he deserve it? No. It is entirely by grace. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Now think about this. If all Noah did was sit down and relax and chill and noah, which is what his name actually says. <laughs> when the rain descended, the floods came and the winds blew. Do you think Noah would have been saved? Noah would have drowned. Amen? If Noah was not obedient, would that grace have been received in vain? Yes, definitely so. Right? There's no point for him sitting down there for 100 to 120 years and say, Oh no, God is by grace. No, he received that instruction by grace. He did not deserve it one bit. It's not that he was perfect in that sense. Although in the Bible it records that Noah was perfect. That's a different teaching down there. Okay, We won't go into that, that point. If he was not obedient to what God instructed him to build an ark after 120 years, 
when the floods came, Noah would have been swept away too. See, it wasn't just grace. Grace has to come through into obedience. If you hear, you've got to do. And that's why Jesus says in this parable, Therefore, whoever hears the sayings of mine and does them, if you hear, then you need to be doing. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Noah was actually recorded as a preacher of righteousness. So Noah wasn't just building his ark. I believe as he was building his ark, he was also declaring to the people, when the people were asking him, hey, Noah, what, what, what are you doing? Noah will say, look, this is what I'm doing because the, the flood's going to come. And if you don't believe in this word which comes from God, if you don't believe in Him who's going to bring judgment, then when it happens, you are gone. He preaches righteousness. He's telling the guys, look, you guys are unrighteous. Now, if you just believe, and if you just follow, and if you just walk with God, then God will make you righteous by His grace. But you've got to obey. You've got to come into this ark with us. Amen? You see, he was preaching a message of righteousness. But unlike Noah, who heard the message, and he did according to the word, these people heard the message, but they did not heed that message. They did not do, they did not move. And when the rains came, when the floods came, when the winds blew, that was a picture of what? Judgment. And that's why they're gone. Of course, we know Noah and his family, they were all saved together with the animals. And later on, God puts a, a rainbow in the sky. And through that rainbow, He says, I promise you, I won't destroy it by flood or by waters ever again. And so God will not destroy anything else by water, but He will destroy in the end by fire. Now hold that thought because we're going to revisit this point about fire very, very soon. So can you see, as in the days of Noah, there was a flood. The flood was pointing to a divine judgment. And before that judgment came, God would give ample instructions if you would heed, if you would hear, and if you would do. We come back to Matthew chapter 24. And Jesus gives a picture of the end. And then after that judgment, and He mentions again Noah. He says, for as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. So can you see he's talking about a flood again and he's pointing to a picture of the end times. He says, it's going to be that same scenario. People are just going to, to listen, but they're not going to obey. They're not going to take heed to anything. But when it comes, it's going to be too late. When the Son of Man comes, and when He comes, He doesn't come anymore, but except to judge. It's the same picture. Can you see? Right? As in the days of Noah. And so before the flood, what happens? What is this picture? There will be signs of the times. Nobody knows when that day would be. But you see, if you will be aware of the things that are happening around you, you will be seeing, you will be ready for that time. You don't know when it is, but you are moving according to the signals. The flood will then signal the coming of the Lord. Okay, immediately after these two passages, Jesus speaks about a wise servant and a foolish servant. Can you see that parallel? 
the wise man who builds his house on the rock and the foolish man who builds his house on sand. Now he uses exactly the same term and he says, you know, then who then is a faithful and a wise servant? Who is this wise person? Who is this person who is kingdom wise? That's the title, right? How, how can we be wise in the things of the kingdom? Let me read this. Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Here we go again. Same thing. The servant hears and the servant does. And if he would respond and he would do what the master tells him, then when the master comes and finds him so doing, this one is called blessed. Because he is wise. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. You want to be kingdom wise? You want to be wise in the ways of the kingdom? Then you've got, to, you've got to see this thread that cuts right through. You want to build your house on the rock? What does it really mean? In the words of Jesus, He's saying, you be watchful, you be faithful, you be ready and you'll be rewarded. That's a wise guy. In all places, that's the best place to be a wise It's okay to be a wise guy there. But the evil servant, i.e. the foolish one, I hate to read those lines. The evil servants get cut in two and his portion is appointed with the, with the hypocrites and the heathen as if he's an unbeliever. Oh, anyone underline those in your Bible? Right? Those are things that we don't like. This person will be cast out and there will be a weeping and a gnashing of teeth. Now, every time we see that phrase, that phrase is used for people who are thrown out of the kingdom, refused entry into the kingdom. These guys are not kingdom wise. Are you following? And we're staying consistent with the pictures that are there. Paul picks up on this theme in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 to 17. He says, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. It is as the days of Noah were, where the, the, the hearts, the intents of the heart were always evil. Exactly the same picture. I don't think we can miss this. This message is loud and clear, shouting at all of us. The question is, will you respond as one who is wise? Or will you respond as one who is foolish? And so walk circumspectly, choose wisely, pick the right way. And then he says, therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Does it sound familiar? That's the last teaching. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, except him, but he who does the will of the Father. See, you have a decision to make. You've got to ask yourself, am I choosing wisely? Am I walking wisely? Am I kingdom wise? Or am I not? Let's look at these two words, being wise and being foolish. The word wise means to think, to have a right mindset, to be prudent, to be careful, to be sensible, to be prepared. That's, one, that's a person who is, who is wise. The wise person in the Bible is not someone who, who is a scholar or has a PhD or, you know, score really good for all your exams. That's, that's not the wise person. Now, in Singapore, we've got to be careful because we put so much weight on academic excellence. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't study. 
if you want to be wise, then you must think carefully. You must have the right framework and the right mindset. Biblically, the one who is wise is one, the one who hears, heeds, and walks the ways of God. You can be uneducated, but if you follow the ways of God, you are wise. And so kingdom wise guys are those who build their houses on the rock. These are the ones who will stand in that final day. But the one who's foolish, the Greek word is moros, where we have the English word moron. Okay, so if you call someone a moron, that's not a very nice term. And yeah, it does mean silly or stupid. But biblically, the one who is a fool is someone who is stubborn, someone who is proud, rebellious. You know someone like that? This one is called a fool. He can be very smart, you know. But if you are proud, stubborn, rebellious, you are a fool. On the other extreme, this person may be very gullible, very easily influenced by others. This word is used to describe salt as having lost its saltiness. So Jesus says, if you, are, if you have lost your saltiness, in other words, you become like a fool, then that's not good. And so foolish ones are those who build their house on the sand, and on that day, finally, they will fall. Now here, at this point, we must ask a very, very important question. What does it mean to build the house on the rock? What does it mean to build the house on sand? You may hear this question or you may listen to me asking this question and you may think, you may think difficult man, so straightforward man. But let me submit to you, I've asked this question of quite a few Christians and the answer that they give is always the wrong one. Is that scary? And you will give all kinds of answer except that that is found in this passage. And I hope that you don't fall into that category. Okay, so it's very simple. It's very straightforward. You are correct. The one who builds the house on rock, he is the one who hears and obeys. That's what it means. It talks about personal obedience. Living the way of the kingdom. Practicing righteousness as opposed to lawlessness. Doing the Father's will. These are the ones who built the house on the rock. That's what the verse says. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Am I staying close to Scripture? Totally, right? Okay? Now, does it surprise you that some people don't know the answer, although they read the Scripture. How about the one who builds his house on the sand? Simply, these are the ones who hear, but do nothing about it. And so if you are a hearer, but not a doer of the Word, then personally, there is personal disobedience. Now, this is important for all of us, every Christian, and especially perhaps in Singapore, where we have so many messages to hear and listen to. But the question is, after we leave that hall, do we do it? 
But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to be like a fool who built his house on sand. Let me share with you what this picture of building the house on the rock does not mean or does not refer to. I think that would be helpful, right? Otherwise, we might presume that it means that and then have the wrong answer. Firstly, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus says, On this rock I will build my church. And we know that that's a true statement. He declared it, on this rock. Now, does it refer to the same thing? I challenge you, study it. The context is totally different. The same words are used, but you cannot use these two things together. Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about the corporate body of Christ. I will build the corporate body on this rock of revelation that is that Jesus is the Christ. He is the, he is the one. He is the one that builds, not the individual. Can you see this? But in the parable, who's the one who builds? The individual. So you see that the context is very, very different. When Jesus built His church, there's nothing to do about your personal hearing and doing or personal obedience at all. Some of you need to process this a little bit after this. right? Because we've always paired these two things together. It does not refer to that. By extension, there's another verse or passage that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where there's this whole sectarian discussion or dispute Oh, we belong to Apollos, we, we belong to Cephas, we belong to Paul, right? They were fighting who is better, who is more impressive, and who speaks better, who's got a greater following on his website. And Paul had to teach the people to say, look, my dear friends, it's not Apollos, it's not me. We all have different assignments. I planted, but Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. It, it's not us, it's God. And so we all have different assignments for the sake of the body. The question is not who is better, the question is who is faithful. You hear that? The question is not who is better, the question is who is faithful. The one who is faithful, you follow, that's okay. But even so, you're not following the one only, you're following Jesus Christ because you belong to Him. We are all fellow workers and we are all helping the corporate body be edified. That's called a building. And so he says, you are God's building and no one can lay any other foundation which I have laid for you. No other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So this is consistent. The church cannot be birthed out of anything. You cannot hear and do it and say, I'm faithful, so you know I get saved. No, your salvation is all by grace, is based on what Jesus has done. You see this? So the foundation is always on Jesus Christ. But after that, after that, every work for the sake of building up that body will be tested by fire. He says some will build with gold, with silver, with precious stones, with wood, with hay, or with stubble, and so on. But at the end, all these will be tested by fire. Does this sound familiar? At the end, it's not going to be by water anymore. It's going to be by fire. And that fire will reveal the true worth of that work that is done for the sake of the body. If the work endures, it will yield a reward. But if it does not endure... It will be burnt. 
And then you have no reward, but you will be saved. That's what Paul says. And I look at these two things, and and I I believe this is what it's talking about. If you are building with gold, silver, and precious stones, and it's going to endure that fire, these are kingdom assignments that would count for eternity. Amen. But if you build with hay and stubble and it doesn't endure, then these may be Christian things or Christian fluff that we do. And at the end of the day, when, it's, when the fire comes, uh, it does not stand for eternity. You understand the difference between a kingdom assignment and a Christian activity? You see this? Every work will be tested by fire. Its true worth will be revealed. And then after that, he goes on with two verses. And I don't want you to miss this switch from a corporate exhortation to a personal warning. If anyone defiles the temple of God, now he's talking, uh, you are God's building, i.e. you are God's temple. Now if anyone, one, one person, anyone, personal, defiles the temple of God, God will destroy them or him. Him, one person. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. See, eh? I'm going slowly here. You are God's building, corporate, all built on Jesus, which is that foundation. What you do for the good of building up this body will be tested by fire, whether or not you get a reward or you don't get a reward. Salvation is not the issue. Are you hearing me? But if you defile the temple of God, the temple is holy, but if you walk unholy, if you live lawlessly, if you do things that does not fall in the way of God, God will not stand for it because His temple is to be holy. So from a corporate exhortation, Paul swings to a personal warning. Wake up your idea. You don't play play. Your foundation in Christ is secure, but yourself you have a personal decision. And you have to see whether yourself, are you kingdom wise or kingdom foolish? God's will will always be done by God's way. No compromise. He goes on after that with one beautiful phrase that we must take heed to. Let no one deceive himself. Is that a strong enough warning by Paul? Don't deceive yourself. And then he says, if you think you're wise in this age, please become a fool so that you can become wise. Now, that's, he's talking in, in upside-down terms, right? In a negative way. But you understand what he's saying, right? Don't be wise in the ways of the world. Don't look at the Apollos, the Cephas, or the Paul. Wow, so, so impressive. Don't be impressed by all these guys. Don't, you're not following these people. You follow Christ. You live for Christ. You belong to Him. Listen to what He's saying to you and do it. Because if you are going to follow people, then I, I have to give you that warning and that caution again. There will be false prophets and there will be wolves in sheep's clothing. And if you read on, we ask this question. Then how will we know, you know whether we are in or whether, how, whether, what are we building on? The final judgment will reveal, you see? You realize the wise man and the foolish man both built their houses. On the surface, all look very nice. On the surface, all look very good. God will be the final judge. And that's why Paul himself said, 
I don't even judge myself. My master is the one who will judge me. We as servants, all we are called to be is faithful. God has final say. And that's why, friends, you've got to be kingdom wise. Don't be a fool. Jesus gives us warning after warning after warning. We cannot say we don't know. The book of James is often referred to like a mini Sermon on the Mount. The themes that he picks up on comes all from Jesus' sermon. So James says this in chapter 1, verse 21 to 25. Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. Same picture. According to James, if you are a hearer and not a doer, you deceive yourself. You are like a fool. right? You refuse to acknowledge the condition that you are in. And you deceive yourself. You think, I've heard the word. I know already. I just want more revelation. Oh, I go for this teaching. I go for that teaching. But if you don't do any one of these things, you don't pay heed to any one of those warnings, then you deceive yourself. So we've got to apply the Singapore term, you know, his own self, check home self. But don't own self, bluff own self. You've got to look at what Jesus is saying. If he says you are salt, you are light, then we need to be salt and light. If he says we have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, that's, that's what we should be desiring to do by the power of the Holy Spirit. He deals with lust. If you're still struggling with lust and, and you're not doing anything with it, this is a big warning, guys. Adultery, um, sexual immorality, gender issues. If you're struggling with anger, murder, slander, gossip, we've got to do something about it. We've been given Holy Spirit. We've got no excuse. Listen to the sermon of Jesus. He says, ask of the Holy Spirit because you can't do it by yourself. Ask the Father. He's willing to give you the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, don't, don't hoard, don't be covetous. If that's what you're still doing, then we're hearing, but we're not, we're not following His word. He says, don't worry, seek first the kingdom. If we're not even seeking first His kingdom, then we have failed in this teaching. We are hearers of the word, but we are not doers of the word. Oh Lord, help us live as kingdom-wise people, amen? He says, if you would do all these things, then, then you are blessed in what you do. Praise the Lord. How many of you want to be blessed? Amen. Then you cannot stop there and think that blessing in terms of Singapore Chinese prosperity material terms. You've got to go back to the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who are broken. Blessed are those who are mourned. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. May your amen. <laughs> Do you hear what I'm saying? You see, the context of the Sermon on the Mount is not for you to pick which part you like, which part you want to apply. He's concluding, therefore... You need to hear what the master is saying. James goes on in chapter 2. My dear friend. Okay, he wasn't so kind. 
chapter 2, verse 20. But do you want to know, oh foolish man? He didn't say, my dear friend. Do you want to know, oh foolish man? Here again, are you a wise or are you a foolish man? Exactly the same consistency. Foolish man, don't you want to know this? That faith without works is dead. See, faith must always produce obedience. Otherwise, that's not faith. And then, here comes the beautiful key. Obedience, when you walk it out, will perfect your faith. How many of you want your faith to grow and be more mature? You need obedience, right? If you hear something from God or you read something from God and you begin to do it, then faith works out into obedience. And if you have heard correctly, then obedience we're gonna give, it's going to give you a glory hallelujah because you're going to walk closer to God and your faith will mature and grow. Faith produces obedience. Obedience will perfect your faith. And James was writing this because he was addressing that point. I know we are justified by faith, not by works. And yet later on he says, you are then justified also by works, not only faith. Huh? You've got to read the Bible. You've got to know this part very well. Abraham was accounted for his righteousness both by faith and also by works because he believed enough to sacrifice his son. In James chapter 2, verse 26, this line is a very painful line. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I hope you heard what I just read. The body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Meaning to say, if there's no works, if there's no obedience, if there's no doing, then the faith that we declare that we have is actually a dead faith. Now, if you have a dead faith, tell me, is then your spirit alive? It's not. Now, if your spirit is not made alive, then where's the grace of God that's come upon you that's made you alive? Can you see, these are very, very hard words to read and very hard to teach. And James is saying, if you really say you believe and you're alive in Jesus Christ, praise the Lord, then your life has to show it. Don't deceive yourself. And the word of God that's given to us, we call it the implanted word. And yet, James says, receive the implanted word. For a long time, I couldn't understand that. If it's implanted, what's there to receive? If it's implanted, it's already there. What's there to receive the implanted word? And then I had this picture. I think the Lord just sort of sparked in my mind. You know, you realize, have you you looked at those, or have you read those organ transplant type stories where you can transplant it, do the entire operation, but you have got to wait to see if the person's body receives it or rejects it. Am I correct? And so when God did a surgical, a spiritual surgical work in us, He implanted that word. He said, I'm going to write my laws upon your heart. Amen. Right? He puts this law upon your heart by the Holy Spirit. But you can reject that. How? You reject it because of filthiness and wickedness. That's why James says, lay aside all these things. You have a part to play. Lay aside. You don't pray, God, uh, please lay aside my filthiness for me. No, that's your part. That's your part to do. Lay aside. And with meekness, receive the implanted word, which means your pride and your ego will reject the word. 
That's a foolish person. And how many people do we know, even ourselves, sometimes we find ourselves in that consequence because we were prideful. We were stubborn. We were rebellious. And then later on, still want to get upset with God. Paul gave an example in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He says, look at Israel in the wilderness. They were given the word. They rejected it. They heard it. They did not follow it. They lusted after evil things. They were idolatrous, sexually immoral, tempted Christ. They complained and they finally missed the promised land. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Same words. Parallel. If you build on a rock and if you hear and you do, you will stand. But if you build on the sand, or hearing only, but not doing anything, then you will fall. But the problem is that sometimes we think we stand, but in the end, we fall. Do not be deceived. And I'm not talking about a daily falling or tomorrow we fall. We are talking about an eternal value and significance here. I'm not playing games with you guys. If I'm doing my assignment correctly, I have to share this with you as accurately as I can. We are talking eternity, friends. And so do not be deceived. Friends, are you building on the rock? Or are you building on the sand? What's your own spiritual walk founded on? Your walk, huh? I didn't say your status in Christ. You get my point? If you read this passage again and someone asks you, what does it mean to build on the rock? Your answer shouldn't be, on Christ the solid rock I stand. Wrong answer because it's a right answer for another time. But not in this context. The context is totally different. Don't fool yourself. This is what I'm trying to say. You have a glorious inheritance in Christ. Don't, don't play with that. This is the point. You decide now which gate you want to walk through, which way you want to walk. Is it by the flesh or is it by the Spirit? Do we want to obey or don't we want to obey? So how do we be kingdom wise? I believe the invitation is still for all of us to know our God and to know Jesus. We close with these two words in the last lesson. Know God, know Jesus. When you begin to know Jesus and you know God, you, you can't help but love Him. Right? This is the invitation. Will you get to know this, this God of yours? Would you, would you love Him? Because in the first place, He has loved you so that you can love Him. This is important because knowing Him and loving Him postures you to hear, and not only hear, but also to obey. How do we know if we love Him? By our obedience. 1 John chapter 5, verses 2-3. to 3. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep His commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. That's how you know whether you have the love of God with you and whether you love your God who first loved you. And when you begin to love Him more and more, as you discover Him, the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, then this love, when it grows and when it becomes mature, we call it what? Perfect love, right? Perfected love is a matured love. As you come into maturity more and more, through obedience, because obedience perfects faith. Then that verse kicks in. Perfect love casts out fear. 
and we have no fear of the final judgment. We can be bold on the day of judgment. Why? Because as we love Him, as we are maturing in our love, the more we love Him, the more we will obey. Praise the Lord. And the more we are going to obey, what's the problem with judgment at the end? It's okay. It's cool. We are going to be on the right side. Amen? But if you are today thinking, oh dear, oh dear, oh me, oh my, then that's not perfect love yet. You see my point? There's a warning. The warning is so that you will run into His arms, love Him, that you can serve Him and you can hear and that you can obey. You've got to catch this, alright? Because if you miss this whole thing, I believe you would have only heard the letter of the law. You're going to leave this room, you're going to hear this whole message and you're going to think, oh, yo, you know this Hanson, so condemning. You keep telling you about judgment. No, I'm telling you about His love. Praise the Lord. I'm telling you about His grace. Praise the Lord. He doesn't have to warn us at all. He's got every right by His grace, He tells us. So that we will not receive the grace of God in vain. That we will respond correctly. If you missed this, you would have only heard the letter of the Lord. God forbid that. I don't ever want you to leave with that. And you know why I know that that's the wrong way to receive it? Because when Jesus finished His teaching, in verse 28 of chapter 7 we read, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His teaching. It's like, wow, no one ever told us like that. I mean, no one, no one made this clear to us. They, Matthew didn't read, the people felt upset, they were condemned, uh, they're, they're going to un- unsubscribe from His mailing list. No, they were astonished, they were amazed. It's like, what authority is this? He teaches as one having authority, but not as the scribes. Think about this. The scribes were keeping to the law as much as they could, right? And yet Jesus comes and says, this is what you need to do. He raises the bar and he pushes it one more step. He talks about final judgment. He gives that warning. And then they were amazed and they still like him. I believe he preached by the Spirit of the law, you see? He gave a different perspective. And in the way he shared with them, he wasn't condemning them and I'm not condemning you. He wanted them to always choose the right way. He wanted them always to be kingdom wise. And so with this passage, with this teaching, Jesus wraps up his entire kingdom manifesto. Once again, you must remember, both the wise and the foolish built. Both houses looked okay. And you can look and you can sound Christian, but not everyone. In the end, all will be revealed, not by flood, but by fire. And you remember, right in the beginning in Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist declared, there's one coming after me, and this is Jesus Christ that he was talking about. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with what? Fire. Now, the Holy Spirit has been given. We have no excuse, you see. The Holy Spirit gives us the enablement. We have no excuse. And the next verse, John Baptist says this, that Jesus will separate the wheat from the chaff. The wheat he will gather into his barn. The chaff will be burned with unquenchable fire. Don't play, play. Do not be deceived. So be kingdom wise. Disciples of Jesus must choose the right gate and the right way. Disciples of Jesus must always remain vigilant 
and be aware of distractions and deviations from false ministers and false prophets. Disciples of Jesus will always want to do God's will in God's way. And disciples of Jesus always understand hearing is good, but obedience is key. Let's be kingdom wise. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for your word, Lord. And once again, Lord, we marvel at the teaching of Jesus. Just like the people, when, he, when they heard this teaching, they were astonished, they were amazed that they had never seen it or never heard it like this before. And yet, they were not offended by Him. They still followed Him because they understood that He is, he is the King. And He wants the best for them because this King loves us and He's gracious to all of us. And Lord, we want to respond in the same way. Holy Spirit, you have captured our hearts this evening. You have spoken something that may not have been nice to receive or easy to accept. But I pray, O oh Lord, that we will not have pride in our hearts to reject it. We will not have stubbornness or rebellion to, to reject it, to say, oh, it can't be so. And it, well, if anyone should feel this way this evening, I pray that they will search the Scriptures, Lord, like a good Berean. And that Holy Spirit, you will speak and teach all of us. I pray that we will all not be deceived, O oh Lord, but we will be kingdom wise to build our house on the rock, to hear and to obey. God help us, we can't do it by ourselves. That on that day, we shall be found standing before you. We love you, Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.